This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Equity Mike. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Excited to be here in the same room. Yes. Which we say, I think every time is a rare... (laughs) occasion but it is becoming less and less it rare it is becoming less and less rare you're in a very relaxed <laughs> position at the moment <laughs> you're <Yeah>. very comfortable <laughs> yeah so this well i mean every time i'm doing equity mates i'm very relaxed true, and comfortable true. this is our our true habitat i guess where yeah we this feel, is our natural state <laughs> where we feel at, at, at peace with ourselves yeah and uh congratulations on a big win last night i'm not sure if you want to go into any detail but uh, for any retailers out there, Ren was successful in winning what is um, known as the Joe Berry Award, a Young Retailers Award in Australia, probably one of the most high-profile awards there are in retail. So congratulations, Ren. Um, massive achievement. Not surprised, to be honest, but um, <laughs> an awesome prize. What is it, a world tour of retail markets or something? Yeah, world uh, world study tour of retailers. Awesome. So whilst we're trying to transition to full-time podcast, you've gone and won yourself a top retail <laughs> award. <laughs> so that's really yeah, going to yeah, help. Yeah, that's, that's a spatter in the really works. going to help the, the situation. Anyway, um, congratulations, bro. Really well done. So... Mm, uh, you're really relaxed, I'm really relaxed, and we're going to have a very relaxing episode answering everyone's questions because yes. it is that time of month again. Ask us anything where we pick out some of the top questions that we've received this month and go through and answer them to our best ability. I just want to point out that uh, in these episodes as well, we obviously don't know the answers to everything and we do get a lot of comment coming from our listeners advising us of answers to some questions, um, which is really, really helpful. And we do share those answers uh, with our community. So if you know an answer to these questions, uh, perhaps better than we can answer, um, by all means, reach out to us and we'll um, share the answer through the community. One that has come in over the last month, Ren, not sure if you've seen on socials, but we had a question about tax time and uh, reporting for tax. And is there any software available? A lot of people have written in about ShareSite. Yeah, seen the emails and the comments. <laughs> so yeah. sharing with everyone, if you haven't come across it, and I know a lot of listeners have, go and check out ShareSite, an amazing platform that allows you to track for free up to 10 holdings. And um, they provide a really good service for tracking everything from dividends to um, tax time and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we're hoping to get them on board 
um, so we can delve a little bit deeper into what they offer. But yes, yeah, so anyone who writes in about ShareSite again, <laughs> we, we get it. <laughs> Thank you to everyone yeah. who has let us know. Yeah, really and I think it. I think we like if we don't know something, we'll usually call it out. But there's heaps of times we will sound like we know something and we might be wrong. Um, well, hopefully not hate sometimes, but um, yeah, write in, let us know. Like we'll, we'll correct the record if we make a mistake. Um, this this is about us learning as much as it is, you know, everyone everyone listening learning. So absolutely. And off the back of that comment, Ren, in terms of feedback, uh, our listeners would have noticed that over the last few weeks we've been trialing some new formats. We've had equity mates of mates with Kip. <laughs> mates of equity Sorry, mates. mates of equity mates. <laughs> we, we might workshop the name a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, we'll workshop that name. Again, anyone has any name ideas, hit us up. We've e- Equity IRL mates. <laughs> IRL. <laughs> BFFs. <laughs> All right, Ren, question number one has come in from a beginner investor who is small-time investor on low income. Uh, all of his stocks pay dividends that have 100% franking credits at the moment. He has a question around income tax and taxation of franking credits. So because of his low income, uh, his personal tax rate is less than company tax rate of 30%. And because of that, he wants to know if he bought stocks with dividends that pay 0% franking credits, would he potentially get a larger dividend after tax because his tax rate is less than the company tax rate that is paid when franked? It's a convoluted question. And I think the first thing we have to say is we we are not tax advisors and you should speak to a professional just like we, we don't know your personal circumstances outside of this question and we aren't licensed to give advice. But in a general sense, the, the rate of tax, like the percentage charged in terms of tax isn't the most important thing because your franking credit is given in a dollar amount. So if your company pays 50% tax and you uh, get $1,000 in dividends, um, which has already been taxed, that means the company paid another $1,000 in tax. And so it's, it can give you a thousand, if it's 100% fully franked dividend, it'll give you uh, a franking credit for the $1,000. And even if your income tax rate is lower, you know, if you're in the 19% income tax bracket, um, you just get that $1,000 amount and you apply it to your, uh, your income. So it, it, the rates aren't as important as the, the, the gross, gross amount, the dollar amount. I think, I think that's what the question was asking. I think what we'll do is get a tax accountant on board because we're getting a lot of questions in over tax, yeah, and but it is I tax think, time. I don't know if they can answer it without looking at people's personal oh, really? circumstances. Uh, I, let, let's suss that out. Yeah, but I think yeah. it's worth trying yeah. to get someone because we're getting a lot we're of tax lot stuff. Of tax so yeah. it's a good, good call out though regarding, yeah, anyway. Hopefully that kind of answers it. Hopefully. <laughs> if if someone has an answer, let us know. Yeah. All right, next question. Uh, an ETF question, which is, I think, a staple for these yes. episodes. Uh, so the question, the question is looking at a few different ETFs, but here's a lot about ETFs with bonds or fixed income assets in the portfolio to help with diversification and stability in the case of a downturn. So the questioner wants to know what our thoughts are on these assets and what the different bond fixed income ETFs are. 
and she's also a bit confused about whether going whether to go Australian or international. Well, then there's a few details about her personal circumstances. Okay, cool, but cool, cool. I think let's keep it keep it general. Uh, so, what's the question? What are our thoughts yes. on yes. fixed income ETFs and bond and bond ETFs, ETFs. which is yeah, the same yeah, okay, in a way. Uh, look, generally speaking, I think her approach of wanting to diversify is is not a bad approach. There's certain times at which you'd want exposure to bond ETFs based on uh, macroeconomic conditions, particularly interest rates. Um, so that is something to consider when when looking at ETFs that give exposure to bonds. But also fixed income, I think, are an option when you're a bit late well, it depends what your investing goals are, but fixed income ETFs are a good way of generating um, consistent cash flow if that's what you're after from an investing point of view. In terms of what ETFs are out there, I mean, almost every ETF provider these days gives you a fixed income bond option. There's, you know, you can get exposure to 10-year treasury bonds, short-term bonds. I don't know if you can get um, private, like, uh corporate bonds ETFs I'm not sure I'm sure they exist somewhere along the lines but um, I I couldn't really give you too many examples because there's thousands out there in terms of international exposure again from a diversified point of view I think it's it's a good option but again you need to consider the environment for the bond market in whatever country you're looking at and, and consider your options there so I guess that's generally speaking yeah so, yeah, as you said, interest rates are the biggest determinant. As interest rates go down, bond prices actually go up because um, the yields on future bonds are worse and so existing bonds become more attractive. But similarly, if we're going to see a long-term return to interest rates trending up, then existing bonds prices will go down because yields on future bonds are more attractive. So watch interest rates, understand what interest rates are doing. If you're looking at bonds... But yeah, I own some fixed income. Um, there's there's bonds. There's also hybrids, which are they, they're fixed income assets. They pay out quarterly, but they are traded on the share market, not as ETFs, but as standalone investment vehicles. So there's plenty of stuff out there. We're trying to tee up an episode on bonds and hybrids. <laughs> uh, with, I reckon this is the longest we've ever gone trying to tee up an interview. So hopefully we'll have that soon and we'll be able to uh, break down bonds and stuff a bit more. But in a general sense, yeah, I think they're an important part of the portfolio. Quick question for me, I guess, is why a bond ETF over just a direct bond? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Well, for a lot of bonds, you need a certain amount of money to access them. So, uh, you know, I think uh, you need to be a wholesale investor in a lot of cases. And even then, you may need to be an institution. So, yeah, it's just a, it's an access, accessibility yeah. thing. Uh, they, they also provide liquidity. Much easier to buy and sell. True. 
Okay. Hopefully that has answered uh, that listener's question. Okay, Ren. So question number three, this is a bit of a a longer one, but uh, a good one. So one of our listeners owns two stocks. One of them is listed on the ASX. The other one is actually listed on a Canadian exchange, TSXV. Now, they're both cannabis companies in the product and supply, and they're going through a mergers and acquisitions process. One is obviously taking over the other, and his question is, will he receive new shares in his ComSec account to the value in the proposal during the merger, even though this company is listed in Canada? And if so, does he need to apply for access to an international trading account through ComSec? Uh, And what's the sort of general process around mergers and acquisitions when the companies are across uh, multiple exchanges and how does it work for the investor? Pretty good question. Yeah, very good question. Now, I'm not familiar with the specific merger. So, um, in a general sense, I guess when there's a merger or acquisition, there's two ways that the shareholders can get paid out. One is in cash and the other is in shares of the new venture or of the acquiring company. So the ca- the cash one is pretty easy. If if a company gets bought out, it will then pay the shareholders what they're what, what they're due and that money will appear in your brokerage account. So for to speak from personal experience, Capilano Honey got bought out, got taken private by a private equity player and uh, my shares got delisted, disappeared from my brokerage account. And then uh, the money appeared in there. So that one's clean. That one's easy. I think in this case, the acquiring company is paying in shares. And so that becomes a little bit more complicated. And so in a general sense, those shares are yours. And how your broker lets you access them will then depend on your broker. So for example, with IG, you can see all of your... It basically automatically allows you to trade internationally. So if it was through that broker they would just appear, the old shares would be taken away and the new shares would appear and you would go about your business when it came to tax time or if it was in the US and you needed to fill out certain forms, IJ would prompt you to do it. For a company like Comsec where you'd need to fill out an application at the front end to open um, like an international trading account, then what will likely happen is the shares will be yours and Comsec will hold them on your behalf and you'll get contacted by Comsec to open a international trading account. If in some instance, for whatever reason, you can't own shares in a, in a certain country, you know, you've been blacklisted by the SEC in America because you were, you know, failed in your director's duty. I don't know. I'm making something up. You may be compelled to sell the shares. It, it happens. Or maybe a less controversial example you own a whole lot of shares in another company and it would be anti-competitive for you to own a whole lot of shares in this company. So when the acquisition happens, you can't own the shares. So then your broker can, you can just tell your broker to sell them on your behalf. So yeah, there, there, are, there are broker specific ways to do it. But at the end of the day, the shares are yours. And so it, just depending on your broker, you may have to fill out a form or two, but um, those shares will be being held by your broker on your account. On your yeah, on your behalf. Accounts are confusing word there. Yeah. Yeah. Custodian. Yes. All right. Next one. 
A listener is looking to diversify into US and international stocks. Love it. Uh, and they are a bit confused about which broker works best and how the exchange rate factors in. Okay. Good news is uh, it's becoming easier and easier to buy stocks internationally. More markets are becoming available. Uh, as competition increases, particularly with online brokers, uh, it's becoming a lot more accessible, particularly against uh, when you and I start investing rent or even sort of 10, 15 years ago. So it's becoming cheaper and more accessible to buy stocks overseas. Uh, we've spoken many times before on the show about stake. Uh, so that is one way in which you can invest internationally in the US stock market. Uh, the way they work from an exchange rate point of view is they set an exchange rate to an extent um, when you go in and put money into the, your account and then you trade in US dollars. All of the stocks are in US dollars. If you compare that to someone like Comsec or IG, which we both also use, it all remains in Australian dollars and the exchange rate and conversion is just done at the time of purchase. So that way you're all in AUD, your portfolio is in AUD, but your exchange rate is determined at the, at the point of purchase. So you're still ex- uh, exposed to exchange rate fluctuations in both instances. I think the main difference is one, you're holding US dollars, the other you're in AUD and will need to exchange uh, when you sell in ING or Comsec. Pretty straightforward. I think the main thing is just to have a look at the fees that a lot of brokers charge on international brokerage because it can vary quite widely and some of it is pretty expensive. Anything from you on that, Ren? No, All right. I think- we'll move on. Very short one, Ren, and I know you're probably going to be able to talk about this one for a long time, so let's keep it brief in 25 words or less. Wondering if you guys have any thoughts on Facebook's new currency, Libra. Oh, I do have thoughts. A cryptocurrency that is backed by real assets isn't centralised, uh, can't be mined, and is not capped. So, how's it a cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's a currency. <laughs> yeah, it uses blockchain technology, but I don't really understand why it does, given it's managed centrally. So, that is probably an indication of my scepticism. I think, oh, I think the, the idea of servicing the unbanked and underbanked is great, and there's a massive need for it. I think some of the crypto side of it is a little bit marketing, I think what it will do is give Facebook a huge float of real currency and it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. And so, to, you know, the, the idea of float is think of insurance, you pay your premiums and when something goes wrong, uh, the insurance company pays you out. But while, all the time while you're paying premium and premiums and nothing's going wrong, the insurance company has all that money that they can then invest. Similarly for Facebook... They're going to have all of, if we're turning all of our real currency into Libra, then they're going to have all of our real currency to do what they want with while we use their currency and then and we'll change it back at a later date. But it will give them, a, give them a big float, which will be interesting to see. I will stop talking about it. But just one interesting tidbit that 10 years ago, someone tried to make a digital currency. It was called Liberty Dollars and it was outlawed. I'm pretty sure they went to jail for it. Like really? it was a big deal, <laughs> and now you say it's now you say it's a digital currency and blockchain, and you're all good. Wow! Yeah, there you go. So I went to jail for it. I, oh, I don't know if you went to. But it's jail. Facebook. It's the Zark. 
Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's probably he's got unstoppable. He's got information on everyone. <laughs> but yeah, Liberty Dollars, they, they got banned. So I don't wow. know. I don't know what's changed, but now we've got Libra Dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next question. Do you have any? Do you have any other thoughts? Or no, nah, I think we should address it a bit further in another episode. Yeah. 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 Um, well, Bitcoin's back on the rise as well. Yeah, and I'm in Bitcoin. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, maybe we'll do a crypto episode. We'll get our mate Alf, who doesn't shut up about oh. it soon. <laughs> Next question is a two-parter, quite separate parts. First part, how do you work out the intrinsic value of a stock? And the second part is the little book that still beats the market a good place to go for that? The little book that still beats the market is a fantastic book. We did it for one of our book clubs. It's a must read. I don't think it goes into the detail from memory of actually working out intrinsic value, but it um, certainly sets out a formula to go about, I guess, a, a stock... Um, what was his method? It was his... So, so it was... It was, his, um, it was it, he used... He just screened... It, it, it was just a form, it was just he just came up with a formula for screening stocks yeah. based on a number of metrics. Um, yeah, it wasn't even that many metrics. Yeah, I feel. no. Yeah, and he just had a screen of about thirty stocks, but he, he didn't. He wasn't working out intrinsic value. No. So intrinsic value, I think. Oh, sorry, I'm stealing your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. I think. How do you work out intrinsic value? There are a number of ways to work out intrinsic value is going to be my answer. There's not one hard and fast rule. It can be done through fundamental analysis primarily. I, I think, sorry, I think even to take a step back, intrinsic value in itself is a subjective term. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like the idea that you can assign an absolute dollar value to a stock at any one time is... You know, it's popular in investment banking and stuff like that. And part of the reason that they need to do it is because at the end of the day, they need a number. Yeah. But intrinsic value is subjective. It's what you, it's what investors essentially go out there and spend hours and hours doing yeah. and use that to make their investing decisions. So, look, there, there are a number of ways in which you can determine the value of a stock. As I said, fundamentally, you can look at business model, cash flow, all sorts of different financial modeling. There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. So, um, so I think, I think the most common one and probably one if you're looking for a formula is to look at the cash flow of a business and then look at the risk-free rate of return and um, then value the, the future cash flows of that business based on the the comparative risk-free rate. Otherwise known as a discounted cash flow model. A couple of people have been asking about the DCF model since we spoke about in the Julia Lee episode and there are a number of free online resources where they where they make uh, the model for you and you can just simply input whatever you believe is the discounted discount rate and a few of the, the growth metrics over a short period of time for the, for the stock. So... Um, that's a way in which you can start determining intrinsic value. But I think short answer, Ren, there's no hard and fast rule to intrinsic value. And as you said, Ren, it's also subjective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not subjective in the sense that I say after pay is worth $2 and you say it's worth a billion dollars. Like there are some <laughs> limits to the subjectivity. Yes. But what, what we mean by that is no one, anyone who tells you after pay is worth exactly $347 million and 34 cents has been too absolute. So, so do we move on? on? Yeah, let's move on. 
Final question for Ask Us Anything for June. Thanks, everyone who has written in. Uh, We couldn't get around to them all, but we have hopefully answered some of the better ones. So, Ren, this is the last one. Our listener has written in. They've entered the market. They've bought VAS, NDQ, uh, CSL. Uh, But the big question, how does she know when to sell? She's hoping to hold them for 12 to 24 months, um, but wants to know, are there any warning signs that uh, she should look out for other than news? Never sell. Never. Wow. Wow. (laughs) How do you make profit? (laughs) If you don't sell, you haven't made a loss. I still haven't made a loss on Slater and Gordon because I haven't sold. It's not materialized. (laughs) No, I think the general rule, there's a reason you bought the stock. You have a thesis on why it will continue to do well. Don't sell unless that thesis has been disproven. Don't sell just because the price falls. Don't sell just because there's bad news unless that bad news negates the reason you bought it. So, you know, CSL, if you, your theory is that CSL has a comparative advantage in, you know, this particular sort of medical technology field in, um, you know, blood um, sampling, I'm not completely across what CSL do, but you know, if, if you think that they have a real comparative advantage in that area of medical science and you think that their pipeline of new projects will further entrench that advantage, then, you know, finding out that the CEO donated money to the Liberal Party and there's a short-term scandal and the share price falls, that doesn't negate your overall thesis. However, if you find out that CSL has been committing accounting fraud and they their new test uh, blood test kit doesn't actually work then that might negate your thesis so you know i'm pulling examples out of thin air there but just don't sell unless your thesis has been disproven and as a general rule don't sell i think if you're doing it from a technical standpoint as well you may have entered based on price movement so you would you generally also might have a an exit point based on a price or percentage gain that you're hoping to achieve. So if that may be a 10% gain, 25% gain, whatever it may be, that's another way that it can help you to determine when to sell or not. But from our point of view, as Ren was saying, um, until your thesis is disproven, Mm. just hang on in there. I I hate the idea that you get to a 25% gain and you sell because you thought that was what you were going to do entering. Like It could, yeah. You're, the beauty of investing is that your upside is uncapped and your downside is capped at 100%. And to, to arbitrarily sell at 25 50 100% when your stock could go to 10,000% if you held it long enough. I mean, people that bought, bought CSL back in the day and have just held it as it rips, you know, through the last couple of years. Cheering. Like... Yeah, it just it is it is time and time again back test after back test after back test shows that the long term compounding effects of holding stocks that can spit out cash and have good ways to reinvest that cash into growing their business just outperform any short term trading unless you like Renaissance technologies and you have some crazy quant model and like unbelievable data. And if you do, I'd be very surprised that you're listening to our podcast. <laughs> um, it's just like it, it's a formula that hasn't been beaten and I, I don't think will get beaten. And VAS and NDQ, they're uh, pretty strong ETFs that, you know, 
they're built for for the longer term as well. So um, keep that in mind. All right, Ren. So that brings us to the end of Ask Us Anything for June. If you have any questions that you would like us to answer on uh, our next Ask Us Anything at the end of July, then there's plenty of channels in which you can do so. Also, make sure that you're following us on Facebook and Instagram. We send out some great resources and market updates throughout the week uh, and a lot of things that are piquing our interest. So follow us on all those channels and join our Facebook Equity Mates discussion group as well because we post some uh, interesting topics there to talk about. So thanks for listening. As always, really good to chat stocks with you, Ren, and uh, we look forward to talking soon. Sounds good. Equity Mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Equity Mates! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.